What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Hey, Ben. What's up? How you doing over there, man? No, I'm, uh, I'm okay. Why are you whispering? Coming in hot off that 2018 elk, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> right yes. on. Right on. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Legion OST DIY Outdoors Podcast. Today, I am your host. This is Andy. And we have Ben coming straight to us from Utah, coming in hot from his last elk hunt. And uh, Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Um, I am, as we talked about a minute ago, I'm an Italian stallion. That's <laughs> what I go by on Instagram and in other places. Um, I'm a full-time hunter, YouTuber, Instagrammer, shed hunter, all those things. And uh, I live and breathe for the outdoors. Right. Well, not only that, and like I'm going to take I'm this way back, way, way back before you were plummeted with all kinds of crazy followers. I remember... A long time ago, you post videos driving around with your kids, taking them out shed hunting and stuff like that. And I was just always so blown away at the conversations because you'd record the conversations in the truck with them, yeah. And and just what you were, you know, what you were instilling in them, and it was it was awesome, awesome to watch, man. Well, thank you, man. That's something that I've always I've loved to do, and uh, those are some of my fondest memories growing up. We're doing that kind of stuff with my dad. Uh huh riding around in the truck and he'd tell us stories and I'm sure they're about half true. <laughs> and, uh, the fabrication. My boys. Yeah. I just try to teach them that as a hero and teach them a little bit about what the world's really about, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. So where, where are you from in Utah? I live in the very South end of the state. I'm like in the triangle between uh, Nevada, Utah and Arizona. Okay. So I live right off the Arizona Strip, um, oh, wow. which is famous for the biggest mule deer in the world. And I live right next to the Ponsagant, which is another super famous mule deer unit. Mm-hmm. And then I live south of some of the best elk country in the world. So I'm just sandwiched in between good hunting country here. Yeah, that's like the prime the holy trinity right there. Oh, yeah. Like I've thought about moving, you know, I've looked at other places and I just can't find anywhere that has the opportunity that Southern Utah has for my taste and my style of hunting. That's so awesome. You know, I'm going to go on a tangent here, but being in California where I'm at, like I can totally relate to that in the sense that like I have pig hunting 365 days a year. I have a deer season with two buck tags that goes from July 10th basically until December if I really want to stretch it out, you know, and then all the other states, all the Pacific Northwest states, Western style hunting, which is my my main bag. If I want to go elk hunting, if I want to go mountain lion hunting, if I want to go, you know, solid bear hunting, everything's within reach of me. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really, I can relate to that of being like in that predicament of like, Man, should I move? And then be, everything I everything I want and need is right here. Why would I move? Yep. Yeah, man. I feel you. Plus, California also has like good food. Yeah. 
So I mean, understand you wanting to stay there. You under and and you know I love to eat. Like, dude, I've seen uh, I've seen your videos on Instagram <laughs> when you guys do like the deer shoulder. Oh yeah, yeah, the leg. And that looks so good. We got to do one of those. Dude, absolutely. Um, prepare yourself. We'll be doing one at the expo this year. Oh, dude, I'm there. So, 100%. yeah, you'll be there for sure. As long as the Dead Eye Boys don't show up, I'll be there. I don't, you know, I mean, they might. Ugh, I got a beef with old B-Dub, Brian, me and him. Go way back, huh? Back in the yeah. saga of Brian? or. Well, yeah, it actually started with Nikolai a little bit. We had a Cosmic Brownie eat-off at the Expo one year and just mm-hmm. kind of left some bad blood there. So if I see them, it might go to punches. <laughs> I mean, I'll film it. Okay. <laughs> Last year, you and I, we, we were trying to trying to put together a uh, a super soaker war yeah man we I, we talked about that we still should try and do that this year i think it'd be fun man i just would wear i have some uh some camo now that i don't wear anymore i'll just show up in that yeah i'll just soak it yeah just get everybody and we'll just fill it with clothing dye yeah man that'd be cool i uh you sent me one of those kits those tie-dye kits yeah and my wife's been messing around with that. She thinks that's the coolest thing ever. Oh, that's great, man. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Hell yeah. So you're down there in South Utah. Is that where you grew up or did you grow up somewhere else? I was born and raised um, about a half hour from where I live now. I'm about a half hour north of here in Cedar City, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up there um, and just was always surrounded by the outdoors and public land super blessed to be in a place that has a large chunk of public lands for us to um yeah i was raised right there okay and so the public land it's not really landlocked then it's easily accessible there's no like private lands that won't let you go through it or anything like that the majority of it is accessible but we also do have some landlocked um public land Mm -hmm. um some tracks of it and by and large i've never been to it just for that reason um You have to have somebody with some sort of uh, a right away or a permission to even to even go to those places. It's like going on a field trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going on a field trip to public land. <laughs> yeah, isn't that strange? Like, there's a piece I know about on the mountain right here that um, I think it's 1,200 acres and it's prime elk country, but totally private landlocked. You can't even get in there. You can actually hike from the bottom up to it, but it would be like. Oh, it'd be like 10 miles straight up to get to it. Uh-huh. But nobody does because it's such a hard hard walk. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. Yeah. That sounds bad. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> Not fun at all. So who introduced you into hunting? How old were you when you when you kind of got started into all of it? Um, I started going with my dad when I was just little. Uh, mm-hmm. He would take us and we would kind of do an easy style of hunting. He'd ride around in the truck with us. Yeah. Um, and then as we got old enough to hunt, uh, when I was, I guess, I guess 14, we could start hunting big game. Uh-huh. Um, but before that we would hunt rabbits. There wasn't a ton of bird hunting at that time in Utah. It's got a little bit better now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd go hunt cottontail rabbits. And, um, then as we got old enough to hunt deer, we started putting in for the hunts. Um, yeah. I drew out for a really premium elk tag when I was 15. And, uh, that was one of my first big um, entrances, I guess, into like a premium big game hunt. And I was just hooked on elk after that. Yeah. Now, was that like a rifle hunt with like during the rut or? Yeah, it was, it was a rifle rut hunt and I drew it with zero bonus points. The first year I ever put in, um, 
on one of the top tier units in the state, one of the few units in the state that at that point had already produced 400 inch bulls. Oh, wow. And so we got to go out um, and just look at a lot of bulls, see a lot of elk, and I ended up killing um, about a 340 bull, the, probably the, I think it was the fourth or fifth day of that hunt. Um, what'd that feel like? Oh, man, it was just, well, oddly, I was a little disappointed because, um, one, I knew I had to go back to school. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be done hunting yet. Yeah. And I was like, the Southern Utah mentality is you got to kill the highest scoring thing. And I was disappointed that I didn't kill a 400 inch bull, to be honest. Really? So now how old were you? I was 15. So how many years ago were we talking? Uh, it would have been, geez, it would have been in 2000. So 18 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, that's, so for me coming from California, like I never paid attention to, uh, like an inch score, right? Like, a 30 inch, you know, 30 inch deer was a big deer. That was how I paid attention to inches, not inches of, of actual antler. Right. And, uh, that's, that's so crazy to think that like, you know, at 15 on your first bull on a, on a 340 class bull, first thought in your head is like, man, I, I wish I killed a bigger bull. Yeah. It was stupid, man. And I actually like wish I wouldn't have had that mentality because that was so like bred into the culture around here, you know, that you got to kill the highest scoring thing. You got to kill the biggest thing that like, in a way it kind of tainted the experience for yeah. me, um, to where I was like frustrated with this bull. And it took me a little while, fortunately not that long to be able to just like really appreciate it for what it was, mm-hmm. be able to appreciate the fact that at this age I had had this experience of being able to take this incredible animal. And now as I've gotten older, especially I've been able to realize like, how truly special that was, especially the time with my dad. Um, we spent about a week together on that hunt. Yeah. And so as time's gone on, I've appreciated it a little bit more. Yeah, for what it was at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny too, and I can only just relate off my own experience. Um, I was just in Utah a couple of weeks back and got the biggest buck of my life, the biggest buck anyone in my family has ever got. Yeah, I saw that there. And it, it, dude, it took six guys to convince me to shoulder mount that buck because in my head, I, I was just going to euro mount it, but yeah. in my head, like I suffered from that same, I mean, call it a malady, call it whatever you want, but that same thought process of this buck's not big enough to be mounted. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I'm like, why though? Like where, <laughs> you know, like I don't understand why that comes up for us. I mean, I guess I get it in a sense, you know, but at the same time, it's still like, where are we making this stuff up? Like, where are we putting these restrictions on ourselves from? Yeah. I think around, I think it was the culture of hunting for a long time, especially Western hunting. Mm -hmm. You you look at these magazines and it's about 400 inch bulls and 200 inch deer. Yeah. That's what it's about. And for a long time, if you weren't killing that kind of stuff, you were not considered to be anything in this industry. Yeah. Um, and I know that I grew up reading Western Hunter and I grew up reading a lot of these, you know, the Western hunting magazines and that's the way it was. It was giants or bust. Yeah. And uh, I just, I didn't realize that there was this whole other culture in hunting. There was all these other people out there who were taking animals that were not record book animals, but were totally satisfied with them because of the experience that went along with them yeah. and because of the meat and because of all these other things. So it just took a little growing up, I think, on my part right. to be able to appreciate 
animals for what they are. And I'm glad that I've finally wrapped my head around a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad those guys convinced me to get that deer mounted because it's going to be an awesome mount. <laughs> oh, man, that deer, that's a beautiful buck. Yeah, for a general tag, man, I'll take that any day of the week. I'm, it was the second It was the second legal buck I saw. that, and I, I mean, it was the second day of the season, but... Right. You know, this is the second legal buck I saw. And He's a stud. Yeah, he stepped out 100 yards. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I dream about. Yeah, right? Exactly. 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 It was, you know, it was funny when I walked up to it, I was just like, I thought the horns had broken off because they were so far near the rear of the deer. I was like, <laughs> and then I picked up the head and I was like, oh no, that's actually the antlers. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird when you see those next level deer that are really wide or really heavy or have some different characteristic like they almost look out of place compared to what a normal deer would be yeah that's what's so cool about walking up on like a real big one yeah so growing up hunting with your dad and your grandfather is there any memories that stand out to you i mean more so than than your first elk hunt and and that i remember that my dad never wanted to shoot deer <laughs> uh-huh he was like I don't know that he was he was picky to a degree, but the deer hunting, I don't know if it suffered really bad or we didn't just, maybe we didn't see as many animals because we were hunting in an easier style because we were little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have one specific memory that I thought was really great. Um, we were up hunting kind of a higher elevation area and there was a big patch of quakies and, and timber and my dad told us, go over and push through that patch of timber and see if you can kick a buck out of there. It was the middle of the day. And so me and my little brother were like probably, I, I bet we, I bet I would have been like 10 or 11. Uh-huh. My brother would have maybe been 8 or 9. So we walk over there and I remember my little brother was scared. So he wanted to walk next to me and I was mad at him because he wouldn't spread out like we were supposed to. Yeah, to try and break it up. Yeah, so we're in there. And we're in the middle of these trees and we start fighting with each other and I'm yelling at him to move down and he's yelling at me that he wants to walk by me. And then we hear, boom! And our fighting, we kicked this little buck out of the trees, I guess. <laughs> and uh-huh. like, uh, it ran over to my dad and my dad shot. And uh, that was one of the coolest memories, but he ended up missing it. <laughs> but it was still like the one time I remember thinking like, hey, like we actually tried to plan and it actually worked. And my dad actually shot like, it was like, I don't know what it was. It was just fun. It was a funny memory. Yeah, dude, brush busted, man. Yeah, that's that's what we used to do it, man, the old style. Yeah. Get out, kick timber and throw rocks and try to scare the deer out and shoot them running. Make it happen. Yeah. Well, I, I can't, I, I don't know what the caliber of deer was in Utah back then. I'm sure it was as amazing as it is now, but I feel like in the last five years, I've just seen so many ridiculous bucks come out of utah time and time again it's insane yeah it definitely had some really good years and that had some really poor years um like in the the 80s and 90s there was really a drought of big deer coming out of utah but uh the last 10 years or so they've been killing a lot of big deer out of utah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So i think it's a combination of mild winters and um also, people like not wanting to hike. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a lot of. It, is that so many people are just road hunters? So yeah. if you get away from those people, there's good deer to be found. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was, ridiculous. It was a fun season for me this year, getting to talk to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to present day. You're known as Ben Shed Crazy. Yes. You have a super awesome antler beard t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I was stoked <laughs> how that turned out. That, that came out amazing. The guy who drew that up for you, dude. 10 brownie points all day long. He killed it. Oh, yeah. He absolutely slayed it. His name's Nick, and I don't know how I pronounce his last name. I think it's Prodanic, uh-huh. but uh, he's from California. Oh, really? And, yeah, his Instagram is at Toasted Sandwich. Toasted so, Sandwich. Yeah, if you guys need any uh, any graphic artwork done, this kid is unreal. Yeah, dude. I was, like, blown away when you fir- when you posted the first picture of that. I was like, wait a minute. Like, how did someone have the genius to even think to do that? Yeah. Well, he he pitched me that idea. I was talking to him about a few logo things. He, I, he had just contacted me on Instagram. Yeah. And uh, he's I, he's like, pitched me the idea. He's like, we could do something with antlers and facial hair. And I'm like, oh, dude, let's do a shed beard. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I like that idea. And it was like five days later he sent me that. And I was like, blown away, just blown away. So where did the name Shed Crazy come from? So I kind of thought of it, um, I was at work one day, supposed to be working, um, I was working for my dad and I was seeing like a lot of these shed hunting Instagrams pop up. Yeah. Um, like shit, like, uh, tines up and like shed heads and all these other ones. And I thought like, yeah, shed hunting, I was super into it at the time. I'm still into it. And I thought I could do one of these, you know, I do this a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started it. I don't know. I just made it up at work one day, pretty random off the top of my head. And then all I did was really shed hunting stuff for a long time. And my wife actually encouraged me to start trying to like make some funny videos. Yeah. And uh, I started doing that stuff maybe two or three years ago. And that's when it really took off for me. That's awesome, man. So she was just like the encouragement of like, make it funny, change it up a little bit. Yeah. I was like filming stupid, funny videos, but yeah. I wouldn't post them you know yeah yeah totally film me and my buddy troy screwing around or like make up some stupid crap and uh she's like you should post that i'm like no people want to see serious shed hunting (laughs) but turns out they don't care near as much about shed hunting as they do about maybe getting a laugh right well dude and and you're good at it man like repeatedly every week you post something that i'm laughing or giggling at like uncontrollably where my employees look at me like I'm nuts. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm glad this, but you seem like the smiliest person on earth too. Like (laughs) smile, man. every time I pull up in your Instagram, it's like you're grinning about something. I always got stuff to grin about, man. Life's good. That is, that's good. That's a good mentality. You know, you know, that's so you were doing shed hunting and all that. So did, were you, did you, were you collecting sheds and then selling them off and kind of doing that as just like a side job and a side hobby or were you keeping them or? Um, I was, yeah, I was selling them. It was a hobby that I kind of got into with my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing it forever and got me started, invited me on a couple trips and then I just kind of went mental about it. I have a really obsessive personality like when I get into something that I really love. Yeah. And uh, I started just getting obsessed with it. Started driving five and six hours, going to Nevada to find elk sheds yeah. every chance that I got, every weekend. Um, at the time, I was uh, freshly married. My wife was working Saturdays, so I would just had 
the Saturdays open. So I'd get off work sometimes Friday night or else I'd leave at three in the morning on Saturday morning and drive to Nevada and go pick up elk and deer sheds. And I just started to get super obsessed with it. Yeah. That's kind of so, cool though. It gave you, you know, she worked Saturday and it gave you something to go do and, and focus on and, and do your own thing. And she wasn't getting pissed at you being, you know, just by herself hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. And she's always been awesome about that. Like we went through some growing pains with it like anybody else, but yeah. once she kind of realized that I wasn't running away from her, that I just was happier when I got some time to myself, yeah. it really helped our marriage, helped our relationship a lot. That's awesome, man. You can't beat that at all. No, she's great. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it, dude. So what would, have you ever found, like what's your biggest matched set of sheds you've ever found? The biggest elk set I've ever picked up was like 406. No way. Yeah. Um, but they were super chalky. So um, old. Yeah, and chewed up and broken. And that number, you know, we came up with it kind of guessing based on what he had on his other side and matching points and stuff. But mm -hmm. he, was, he was anywhere between 395 and 410. Wow. Um, wow. He might have been as good as 4, 415 in his prime. And then actually that same week I picked up a – a dead head that scored 395 no so, way was that chalky too or was that looking it around? was chalky but it was intact it didn't have any broken points mm -hmm. so it was all whole and i actually had the, that dead head restored i have it right here in my office i'm looking at it and that's uh he's probably the most impressive thing i picked up that's awesome dude yeah i just oh dude, i love big elk deer to me are awesome i've spent a lot of time looking for deer I picked up a few deer sets right around 200, uh -huh. um, but elk is where I've spent my time really. Most of the deer sheds I find, I just find them while I'm looking for elk sheds. Yeah. So. So what made you want to go from, uh, I want to say you were, think you said you were working with your dad, maybe in a family business. What made you want to go from your, your past employment into switching gears, full-time hunting career? you know, full-time, just hunting industry, doing the hunting thing? Well, I think it was a combination of things. One, um, I quit working for my dad, and I started working for the school district here in the county that I live in, and I just wasn't really happy at that job. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a terrible job. It was really easy, but I had a ton of downtime. It wasn't really like a fulfilling thing. And um, at the same time, me and my wife kind of decided that we wanted to get hundred percent out of debt uh-huh and so we started working through this debt program tell me who's um, dave ramsey oh dude always dave ramsey. <laughs> that's so g <laughs> that's how yeah. i bought my first house dude not gonna lie that's what's up dude, that's what's up, dude. it's like the corniest thing ever but total money is, makeover man that book changed our lives as, as cliche as that sounds man yeah. Like I started listening to his podcast while I was doing janitor work at the at the school district. Yeah, sweeping floors at night, and I got so hyped up, man. He's yeah. so good at motivating people. And then I caught my wife, and I and I like was like you have to listen to this podcast. She started listening to it. She got all hooked. We got super excited, and it was like we had already sold our house and got rid of a, a lot of our debt. Mm -hmm. But you know, we were driving nice cars. We had bills we had credit card debt all this stuff and we just were like forget it let's start knocking this out yeah so i started putting all my shed money to that yeah to getting out of debt and all our spare money we were both working we were making a pretty good income and we paid off like 
about $30,000 in debt in like six months. No way. Yeah, we just knocked it out. And then dude, we were, that's the Dave way too, man. You just rolled that like beans and rice or? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Beans and rice, rice and beans, man. That's your, that's the, <laughs> that's the go-to right there. Yeah. And we actually, we ended up moving in with my in-laws because we could live there rent-free for a little while. But we just put everything we had on our debt and we got totally out of debt. We saved up an emergency fund. So we had um, pretty much six to, six to eight months worth of income in the bank. And then my wife got hired as a teacher. She finished her schooling and got a full-time job as a teacher. Uh-huh. So we were kind of at a point where I had a decent job and she had a decent job. But we didn't want to get accustomed to living on two incomes yeah. because we knew that it would be hard to break away later. We knew that we didn't want to have both of us work. So um, she told me one day, she's like, why don't you just do this full time? I was getting to the point where I was making a little bit of money with the sheds, starting to have some sponsors. And we sat down and kind of made a goal and a plan that we thought that this could be earning enough income to support our family within a year, which was completely unrealistic. We didn't know that at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we said, okay. So I started chasing it full time. I quit my job. She basically told me, I was whining all the time. All I wanted to do was hunt. And uh, she told me that she couldn't stand me whining and moaning anymore. And if I was either needed to do something about it or shut up about it. So I quit my job. And just dove in. Yeah. Was and it nerve wracking or? Um, yeah, yes and no. It was because I was leaving behind a sure thing for an unknown thing. Yeah. But scary, dude. That's a scary leap, man. Yeah. It was more exciting than anything. Like I'd always had these dreams of doing what I wanted all the time. Like I'd always lay it, lay in bed and night or else I'd be like driving to Nevada and thinking like if I could hunt for a full time it would be a dream come true I used to have these like elaborate I don't know like fantasies or visualizations or whatever where I was getting paid to hunt hunt, you know yeah and uh I knew that was what I wanted to do for a long time and then it just kind of I don't know if through visualization or whatever it just just happened amazing how that works too like exactly how you said dude through visualization dude it just came together yeah, I believe in that, man. I believe that like you will find a way to where you want to be if you have it in your mind. Yeah. So, yeah, and then that's where we are now. Um, my wife is still a teacher. She's on maternity leave now. We just had a little baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to – Congratulations, man. Thank you. So we're trying to decide what we're going to do. If she's going to go back to work, um, I think this is hopefully to the point here soon that uh, she doesn't – have to work anymore and she can stay with the kids and I can just go do whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, that's the Ramsey story, man. I, uh, we're all about Ramsey. Right. It's, you know, and I mean, like I started listening to Dave Ramsey. God was that in like maybe 2010, 2011, right in there somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, going through his books and, and listening to his podcast, he has a radio show as well. Um, and just doing all that, dude, inside of, was it two and a half years, I was able to like, you know, man up and start trying to buy my first house and, and looking at life in so many different ways than, yeah. than just that constant grind and that struggle of, of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, you know. But coming out of that and then buying my first house, it was just insane. Yeah. It's such a turnaround and it happens so fast. It, and you don't even think that it's going to happen that fast. And then, boom, it's like there it is happening before your eyes and you can't stop it. Yep. 
it's crazy. And like when you start to have, um, you don't have the urgency anymore of trying to make your bills every month. You're not worried where your money's going to come from. Yeah. It lifts that so much weight off your shoulder. It lets you be creative. It lets you think outside the box. It lets you be strategic and intentional and it changes the way you like live because you're not just have this overwhelming thing where how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay this debt back? It's mm-hmm. crazy. See, and, and it's funny listening because like right now, you know, I have I have debt because I own my house, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of went off of just trying to throw all my money at my mountain of debt that I have in my house because I live in the Bay Area. But yeah, you know, half of me is like, dude, I could sell my house and I could move out of the state and I could buy three houses and not, <laughs> you know what I mean? And not, and not worry about it and, and have no more debt and be debt free and, and, and be able to do other things than, you know, working and grinding on a mortgage and doing right. a podcast on the side and then trying to do out of state hunts like a maniac and like all this other stuff, you know? Right. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah, it is, man, for sure. Like, it changes the way you think. We were so, like, gung-ho. I bought a house um, before I should have ever bought a house. You know, I couldn't really even afford to buy a house. But because of the way mortgages work, I was like, oh, yeah, I can buy a house. Great. Yeah. Um, and I always felt so trapped in that, you know? Yeah. But I think we have, like, the goal to buy a house again at some point. We want to pay cash. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen or not. But when you go about it in a different way and you kind of change how – you go about buying a house. It can be, I mean, buying a house is a good thing. Yeah. Just got to go about it the right way to where it's, you're not overextending yourself. Right. So, but whatever, if you decide to sell your house down there in the Bay area, you got lots of room up here, man. Lots of stuff to hunt and lots of cheap houses. So, right. That's everybody tells me I need to move to Utah, dude, man. You can, you can get a nice house around here. 200 grand. You can get a very nice house. Yeah, dude. Everybody is like, you need to move to Utah. You need to get out of California. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that sounds so tempting. Just have a summer home, dude, or a winter home, I guess. Well, summer home. Whatever. Just have one home that's paid for. <laughs> right. Just have you like a single wide up here somewhere. Yeah. In the trailer park. In a couple hundred acres, yeah. There right. you go, man. Right. What What's the thing that Dave Ramsey would always say when someone would say, hey, how are you today? Or I can't remember it. Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve, dude. Uh-huh. That phrase changed my life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To to change my perception of my reality to when people be like, how are you? And it's better than I deserve. And like, did I believe that? I firmly believe that every single day that my life is better than I deserve. You know what for I mean? Sure. And it's not that I don't work hard for it or anybody doesn't work hard for whatever they're doing. You know, but it's like the gifts and, and the blessings and everything. It's It's insanity. Yeah, it definitely is, man. And like, I think about that all the time. And I have to remind myself of that, too, because I'm like, I'm living the life I used to dream about. Yeah, I'm doing what I want every day. Um, I wake up in the morning and I decide, what do I want to go today? What do I want to hunt? Yeah. And uh, five years ago, I used to sit there at work and want to just beat my head against the wall because that was all I wanted was to be able to go where I wanted and be able to do what I wanted every day and be in charge of my own life and be intentional. Yeah. Um, even when you find it and like when you get to a place where that's a reality, you have to remind yourself how great it is sometimes because I'll just fall into the, the day to day, you know, and I'm like, yeah. man, I don't want to drive eight hours to Colorado. 
I don't want to pony up the thousand bucks for this tag, you know? Yeah. But then you think about the life you're living and it's like, you have to just kind of smack yourself into, into reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and be like, wait, how do they even end up for it? Like, how is this my problem? Yeah. And people tell me all the time, oh man, you have the dream job. You have the dream life. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. But like, I really just need to be like, yes, it freaking is the dream. It's the dream that I work my butt off for. Yeah. So. And it's a grind to get there, dude. And never discredit yourself of that, dude. The grind to get to where you're at, you know, and the grind that it'll take for you to get further in your career, you know, it's every single day. Although it's an amazing, rewarding, extremely fun grind, you know, and we've both talked like, dude, there's down days where like it's bad, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? But like, that's part of the grind, dude. And it's, and it's, it's amazing, you know? Yeah. It is. It's always work, but I mean, work's not a bad thing. It's okay that it's okay to struggle a little bit. It's okay to go through some hard stuff because it makes the good that much sweeter. Yeah. So getting back into you know what we're talking about and on on with our on with the program because we'll we'll probably run around in circles with Dave Ramsey and the Total Money Makeover. Um, with your popularity on social media. <clears throat> How would you say that it's it's a part of your career, and what do you feel has been the effect on the hunting community from social media? Well, um, as far as it being a part of my career, um, like I've I've never been one to hide from the fact that there is paid promotion. Yeah. Uh, for me, if you guys, I'll be honest with this with anybody. If you guys see me wearing a brand. Um, and talking about it and linking them and tagging them, it's because I'm a partner with them. You know, I wouldn't lie and say that, oh, no, I just only wear this and I'm just telling you about it. You know, like it's a business for me yeah. and I get paid to promote products. Yeah. But by the same token, I'm not going to promote anything that I don't believe in. I'm not going to ever go out there and promote a product only because I'm getting paid. Yeah. You know, there has to be like also, uh, real use of the product and a real understanding and a real I have to really like it or I won't promote it so you know that's all I'm really gonna say about that but um the having a large following basically you get paid a little bit more to put eyes on product yeah and it's as simple as that market as far as, saturation right it's just brand recognition um getting it in front of the consumer mm -hmm. um, but I'll never I'll never lie I'll never sell anything out mm -hmm. um as far as the way I think it's impacted the hunting community, um, I think it has positive and and negative impacts. Positive in the sense that this is how young people consume media. They're not reading magazines. They're not watching the Outdoors channel. Mm -hmm. They're on Instagram. They're on YouTube. And if they're going to get excited about hunting and they're going to become involved in the sport, it'll be through these avenues. Yeah. So I really like having the ability to send a message or put the, a message about what I believe out to people in a way that's easily digestible. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it has a positive impact on the younger generation. And then I think a lot of people in the older generation who um, maybe don't aren't as comfortable with social media can probably see it as a negative Yeah. Um, simply because I don't know what's new can be scary <laughs> right you know and so there's <clears throat> negative things that come along with it there's some of the bullying you see there's like hunters 
arguing with each other, but I think the good will always outweigh the bad. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think it's kind of crazy. Um, and I, I mean, I spoke with a few guys about this. It's like social media, I think, collectively has has changed the direction of the hunting industry for the better. You know, because you have guys like Joe Rogan and you have, you know, Cam Haynes and, you know, the celebrity, you know, quote unquote, celebrity hunters and all these guys that are out there doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. You know what I mean? And like and and doing their whole thing. Um, but the amount of people that they're getting to reach and the message that they're getting to convey about organic meat and about which has trickled down, I think, all the way across the board to all of us being better representatives of of what we're doing after the kill you know what i mean yeah of course dude there's going to be a grip and grin that's like you know hunting one-on-one you know what i mean but there was never much information after the grip and grin about where did this meat go who did this meat feed you know what i mean how did i you know save this what did i do with that you know And there's so much more of that. There's so much more saturation of that going on now, which is just, I think, for me, one of the coolest parts, you know. You know, it's yeah, like that, that backstrap picture you posted earlier. It's just the most delicious looking backstrap ever. Doesn't it look good? I would eat that all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. I love that it's a part of the culture now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that people, they want to see that. They want to see what you cooked yeah. they want to see how you prepared it some of the most common questions i get are people you know sending me direct messages how do you cook this how would you how do you cook a tongue how do you cook a heart yeah um and parts that were throwaway parts for the longest time yeah um and i love that i love that that's becoming part of the culture and i think as we go forward as hunters that's going to have to be kind of our battle cry the meat is going to be what kind of I think saves it in the eyes of the public Yeah, because when I think the public looks at hunters, if we're seen as people who are just out there killing for the antlers, um, I don't think that hunting has much of a chance. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that we have to be able to put forward the message of food because everybody can relate and understand that. Yeah. Well, well every common sense. Anyway. You know, and not only that, but you know, and, and especially here in California, one of the biggest things I see with the influx of all the new people coming in is all these people want fresh, organic, clean meat that's not in a styrofoam tray that doesn't have meat glue in it or, you know, whatever kind of weird additives that, right. you know, major slaughterhouse industry is, is, you know, putting into the meat, which that's, that's awesome. You know what I mean? It's, it's so great. I mean, I've, you know, and you were talking about the flip flop earlier. When I do that venison leg, when I do that hind quarter, yeah. one of the one of the most crazy things is is I've I've fed that to vegans, I've fed that to vegetarians, I've fed that to like people that would you know refuse to eat wild game. Mm-hmm. All of them loved it. You know, a couple of them have gone as far as they've come out pig hunting with me now. They've gone and gotten their hunting licenses. And awesome. done things like that where it's like, that's our segue, man. That is how we get to get the next generation involved is by showing the actual connection between man and what we're hunting. And then 
eating it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're 100% right. I think the food is the doorway. Yeah. I think because I think we're seeing a revolution in our culture as far as food goes. People want non-GMO, whatever that means. You know, they want... That's just so far beyond me. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know at all. But like they want non-processed food. Yeah. They want whole foods. Um, not necessarily the grocery store, but, you know, whole foods. But I think that that's going to be our way in. I think that's what it'll be. That's what I think will save this conversation for a lot of people. Yeah. They'll be able to look at it from the aspect of this is a cleaner, more ethical way to obtain meat. Yeah. So. So with all this talk about the meat and everything like that, what would you say drives you for hunting, you know, to keep going back? You know, what drives you for hunting animals? What drives you to to keep going back out in the off season and going shed hunting and all that kind of stuff. I think for me, it's, uh, Oh man, it's so many things, but I think it's a need for adventure. Um, and a need for solitude in a way. Um, I I like, I need alone time, Mm -hmm. but definitely I'm motivated by the food. Yeah. I'm motivated. I love wild game. It's, I it's 90% of the protein that my family consumes. Um, I love the challenge and I love the animals. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not about just pulling the trigger. I love to watch them in their natural environment and their natural behavior. Yeah. Love to see the wild places that they inhabit. Yeah. And it's crazy when you go out like someplace like Nevada in the middle of the winter when it's freezing cold and you watch these animals and you get to go home at the end of the day back to your warm house and think those animals live out there see how incredibly tough they are and resistant to predators i just am fascinated by the whole process yeah and it's like this huge adventure that you get to do this huge challenge it's like a spartan race and at the end you can have some really good food right and so it's just it's fulfilling in every way for me and something you brought up too is like going out and watching these animals and all that like because I go out to a wildlife preserve not far from my house to watch the tule oak. And right. uh, for me, during the off-season, it's one of the most enjoyable things that I could possibly do on the planet. And I'm not even hunting. I'm just – I'm hunting with a lens or I'm not, you know. But I've, I've got my spotter, you know, and I'm stalking around through the grass. And I'm trying to yeah. get as close as I can without spooking the animals and and just getting to watch them in their natural habitat – you know, in their raw existence, doing whatever it is, whether it's, you know, coyotes, deer, elk, you know, the birds, all of it, you know, and just yeah, getting to yeah. take in the majesty that is nature. Right. Yeah. I was always the kid watching nature documentaries growing up. Right. On Saturday nights, they had nature on PBS and I was always locked in for that. I, I loved it. And we had an opportunity. Um, I was hunting New Mexico this year. And we ran into just a, a beautiful bighorn sheep, and he was by himself. And I snuck, I snuck within probably 15 yards of him. No way. <laughs> and I had my DSLR with me, and I took 500 pictures probably of the sheep as he just kind of fed around. Yeah. And like, I don't think a non-hunter would really understand that relationship because I have no desire to kill that animal. Yeah. Like obviously if I had a sheep tag, I'd be looking for one. Yeah. But in that moment, it's not like, oh, I wish I could shoot it. In that moment, all I'm thinking is, I 
this is a beautiful, a beautiful animal, and it's so cool to interact with him. See what he's eating. See how he walks around. Like, just see how muscular they are up close. And yeah. you know, it's just someone who doesn't hunt probably doesn't understand how we can appreciate animals like that. But there's no desire to kill that thing for me. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird dichotomy. But I think that as people understand hunting more, understand the food aspect more, and the respect that we have for wildlife, that'll be another doorway with non-hunters, I believe. Yeah. Getting to introduce that, the conservation end of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and protecting the wildlife. You know, well, yeah, we're out there hunting. We're also, I mean, that's that's part of it. Getting to have moments like that on the mountain with a sheep 15 yards from you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's magic, man. Like that, oh, yeah. like that, just thinking about that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Like I couldn't even imagine how hard your heart must have been pounding out of your chest getting oh, yeah. closer to that animal. It was. It was like that for sure. And I remember after the ram had walked over the hill and we'd left, I turned to my buddy Joe that I was down there with and I told him, I'm like, dude, we don't kill an elk. That right there was worth this trip. <laughs> like just coming down and seeing the ram. That's so epic, man. It was awesome. So talking about that, let's we'll dive into we'll dive we'll touch a little bit on the twenty seventeen hunting season. Um so obviously it's twenty eighteen. Right. You've still got a little bit of time left and you and you had an amazing twenty eighteen season so far from what I can tell. Yeah, it's been a blast. And twenty seventeen was also an epic season. Yeah. So you started out with a Utah over-the-counter archery elk hunt. Yep, I did. That's kind of a hunt that's in uh, it's in my backyard, mm-hmm. and I consider it to be my bread and butter, even though it is like super difficult. Uh huh. Has like I have had an archery tag in 2017, and it's the success rate on archery is single digits. Mm-hmm. Um, and on public land, it's almost zero. Like it, uh, it might be five percent. Yeah. <clears throat> but we actually had a good year in that we got into the elk really early. My buddy Troy, um, I was hunting with him, and he had never killed an animal with his bow. Uh-huh. I, one of the first nights of that hunt, um, we were able to get on a herd of about 30 elk, and he put a perfect shot on a cow at about 70 yards and uh, was able to take a cow like one of the first few days, and that was awesome just to see him take his first big game animal with a bow. And we hauled that thing out in one trip, and oh it was brutal. It was brutal. That's ruthless. Yeah, we uh, each took, and we didn't bone it out. I don't know what we were thinking. Like, must have been tired. Yeah. Because <laughs> we just threw on, <laughs> I threw on a, a hind quarter, and she was a big cow, and a front shoulder. Then I had back strap um, and the heart. Then I had all my camera gear plus my bow. And then uh, Troy had the same all that same gear on his and the same other half of the elk. And we have to like, I think it was 3.4 miles out of there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to die. I so bet. were you with him when he took the shot? Like were you I, guys together in the stock and all of that or? Yep. I filmed the whole thing. No um, way. 50 yards behind him. He snuck in um, the final, you know, 40 or 50 yards or so by himself while I filmed and uh, was able to get the shot and everything on film. It's on my YouTube channel. Uh-huh. So he uh it was cool. It was cool to see that because him and I have hunted a lot, but very very rarely do we actually are we like right there when the other person gets an animal. 
right so it was cool what's your what's your youtube account um it's just under shed crazy it's just shed crazy yep and i I do a few videos a week up there typically yeah um and it's uh it's a lot of fun so after he got his elk then did you follow up and and get a bull yourself or so that was right at dark um so and as soon as he shot the the herd kicked up into some private property Mm -hmm. Um, we're hunting just a little slice of public um in between a bunch of private and they were pretty much gone so we took care of his cow we got her out and we went back in there um for the next few days and the elk didn't come out of the private um and then i think it was maybe four days later we went in there together and uh right in that exact same spot where he killed his cow all the elk were there again and um right before dark a bull came screaming out of the trees right to us uh-huh. um and he had about four or five cows with him he pushed his cows right past us and that bull walked by me at 21 yards oh wow and i'm thinking home run right yeah so i draw i settle my pin i shoot and i watch my arrow just sail perfect smack the bull i'm like that's a done deal game over me and troy are high-fiving and everything he's just you know a young bull but any yeah. elk with with a bow on that unit, you're just over the moon. Yeah. So I, um, he ran about 60 yards up the hill and stopped at about what would have been about 80 yards to me. Mm-hmm. And I drew again and I sent another arrow and it dropped just low. I didn't compensate for the angle enough. Yeah. And uh, missed him. And then he kind of went over the hill. And I thought, ah, well, he's just going to go right there and die. So I went up and found my arrow and was looking, found a big pile of blood. And we decided we were going to leave him overnight just because you know, we weren't sure and it was dark. We came back the next morning and we couldn't find blood past where he'd stopped at the top of the hill. Oh no. And, uh, I looked for that bull for seven days. Um, I gritted that whole piece of public right there. I never found blood where he crossed the fence. And to this day, I have no idea, um, where he went after the shot. He did, however, show up on a trail camera about three months later alive. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, he was looking really poor. I don't know if he made it through the winter or not, but uh, it was just crazy. Like from everything, the shot looked perfect. Everything looked great, and uh, he just didn't didn't die. So, what did what was the emotions that you went through? You know, essentially having lost an animal that you that you'd hit with an arrow. Oh, I was sick about it. Yeah, um, I, I, I that was the first time that that had ever happened to me with a bow um and i was just like just sick sick to think that there's possibility of you know several hundred pounds of meat just laying out there spoiling somewhere yeah and i thought i'd made a good shot on him and i just didn't i didn't know what to do man i just wandered around there and uh for the basically spent the rest of the hunt um trying to find that bull and that was it didn't end up killing an elk that year on that tag at all um, but just, oh, I hate that feeling. I've been there a couple times, you know, when you hunt as much as I do, I think that, I think everybody will go through that eventually, but it's just a terrible feeling. Yeah. So backing up to the first elk that you guys had gotten, when you guys, you said it was like 3.6 or 3.4 miles or, or whatever it had been on the pack out. Yeah. You guys have an elk split between the two of you. What was the relief feeling? That like as soon as you guys got back, like within a couple hundred yards of the vehicle, like 
<laughs> well, like, explain that to me, because I just went through that in Montana with 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 mule deer. Yeah, and like it, that is, I for me, I feel like that last like five hundred yards. No, and it was pitch black, so it's like knowing that I'm so close to the vehicle, but still so far away. It's like, what was that like for you guys? It was, it was good. Like, I love that feeling when you get to the truck and you like sit down and put your pack on the tailgate <laughs> and you feel the weight come off your shoulders and then you feel like you're, you're like walking on the moon because you're floating <laughs> yeah you have no weight in your arms like want to go up in the air like that's the feeling i'm looking forward to me and troy we've been on some brutal pack outs together and yeah. it seems like we're always talking about dude it's gonna feel so good to get to the truck yeah get to like that last 500 yards luckily on this one we were we had hiked up and we were coming down to the vehicles but still like i fell going through deadfall a couple times i fell right on troy's bow and uh knocked him over like we it was like it was like bowling pins man uh-huh. tried to go over this log and and got sideways and i fell and knocked him over and landed on his bow and uh it was just it was just one of those ones where even going downhill, you're having to stop and rest, you know? Yeah. So it's just that feeling when you get to the truck is, it's like nothing else. Everybody should experience that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> feeling to take half off after three or four hours of hauling meat. Drop it on the ground. And it's like you said, dude, all of a sudden you feel like you're floating. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So you rolled out of Utah and you rolled right into Idaho archery. Yeah, I did. I went up there. I'd never hunted Idaho before, and I bought an over-the-counter general deer and a general elk tag. Mm -hmm. I bought a elk tag for a unit that's archery only. Mm -hmm. um, so as soon as that hunt was over, um, you know, a lot of general uh, Idaho tags you can hunt rifle with yeah. as well. But this was a unit that only had archery, and we did that because we felt like it was a better unit and there was a chance of getting into some better elk. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a great time up there. The first day we got to Idaho. We were driving up to where we wanted wanted to start glassing, and uh, we kicked elk right off the road. Um, followed him up on the hill, and I had like a 300-class bull come by me at like 95 yards. Oh, wow. So I was like, this is the hunt, kind of hunt it's going to be? And we followed the elk, and we got into a whole bunch of rutting bulls up on the hill. And the whole first day I was there, we just chased elk. We saw lots of different bulls, saw lots of different elk. And we also saw three or four different big bucks. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking, oh, this place is just paradise. Like We're in the spot. Yeah. The unit that we were hunting is really open, though. There's a there's an old burn there. And it's really hard to get on those elk. And it's an area where they've had wolves for a mm -hmm. long time. So um, the elk don't go into the timber. They stay in the open faces because that's where they can protect themselves the easiest from wolves. Mm-hmm. So we were constantly dealing with that. You'd see the elk on the middle of a huge open face where there's nowhere to stalk them, no way to get to them, and they wouldn't leave that face. They'd bed out there. They'd stay out there the whole day. Yeah. And so we had a lot of opportunities. Um, I saw a lot of elk. I never – I don't think I ever even flung – I didn't fling an arrow. I don't think I ever even knocked an arrow in Idaho. Um, just never got an opportunity. I saw one really good buck that I probably should have shot. But I was kind of tuned in on elk, mm -hmm. and I didn't even really think about it. So I spent uh, I spent two weeks in Idaho during um, archery and muzzleloader, but I didn't end up ever even taking an animal there. But I had an amazing experience. We saw bears, we saw moose, we saw elk, 
had a great hunt. Just everything across the board. It was just yeah, it was going wild. Like the zoo up there. That's amazing, man. It was awesome. So rolling out of Idaho, now you're back in Utah. You have a general muzzleloader over the counter tag. Yeah, I was I was bloodthirsty. Like I had been a couple weeks in Idaho. Um, I'd had that archery hunt in Utah, and I hadn't even put an animal on the ground yet. Mm-hmm. The freezer was in a bit of a sad state, so I, I <laughs> was, was getting ready. empty. Yeah, so we have a spot that we love to hunt in southern Utah. Um, it's a backcountry spot, and we we uh, I don't know what we were thinking, but we decided to leave after Troy got off work the night before the opener, mm-hmm. and it took us all night we ended up hauling in a ton of different gear i don't know what we were thinking we went in super heavy and we got to our camp like at 5 a.m opening morning and i strung up a hammock and slept for like maybe an hour Uh and just laid on the ground and shivered and it was (laughs) it was brutal cold like the coldest it's ever been during the hunt that i've been up there so what time of year is that it's like mid-september okay so you, I mean, you're mid September high desert. You're looking at like, you know, if it's really low, you're looking at like 25 in the morning and maybe 60 in the day. Yeah, I'd say it probably got around there. Yeah, yeah. probably got to the 20s or maybe maybe the 30s. But it was just like we'd been hunting in the heat. Yeah. So we just froze. We froze on that hunt, and I got up opening morning, and it was so cold. And like, I dug around and found a spare pair of gloves. I hadn't even brought gloves. But I found some of Troy's extra gloves. And anyway, I walked out of camp that morning. And I was seriously, my whole goal was to go find a rock to sit on and wait for the sun to come up because it was so cold. Uh-huh. And I walked around the hill from our camp. I got to a rock and I was standing there. And right at first light, I heard deer. Um, I could just, it's really rocky up there. And I could hear their hooves, you know, bouncing, coming right towards me. And uh, maybe 10 minutes after first light, um, four bucks came past me and the last one was a really pretty four point and I shot him um, with my muzzleloader at 20 yards. No way. Yeah. And he had no idea I was there. Um, he ran maybe 50 yards and piled up right in the main trail. And, uh, yeah, he was, you know, he's like, uh, I don't know, just a, a nice, pretty four point, maybe 22, 24 inches wide. Yeah. Um, kind of heavy horned and symmetrical. He wasn't real cement. He had a crabby on the one side, and okay. just kind of, but just a pretty buck, you know. I yeah. had curved guards, and I was just so happy to have an animal on the ground. And usually up there, we're worried about the heat. We're worried about meat spoiling, and so we have to hurry and get him off there. But it was so cold that it was nice. We just took our time. We skinned him, quartered him, and got him hanging in some dark, some dark timber. He cooled out immediately, and then we just went back to camp and slept for like <laughs> five hours. And then packed it out that afternoon? Well, uh, luckily, um, I have a buddy who is like a horse fanatic. Uh-huh. And he is always down for a pack out. Yeah. So I call him no matter where we're at, and he'll show up with his horses. You know, he was – I called him, and he showed the next morning, brought all his horses, and we just threw it in the saddlebags, and he hauled it off the mountain for me so we didn't have to haul that buck out. And oh, that was amazing. <laughs> we were so heavy we had so much gear that's epic yeah so it was it was awesome he did that this year on my deer and then on this elk that i got um day before yesterday he came and helped 
bowl for me. It's, oh man, it is the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. We'll dive into that. We'll get in. We're getting there. Yeah. So tagged out at first light. Yeah. Nice four by four buck. Yeah. Back to yep. Idaho, you go for rifle season. Yes, I did. I went right back to Idaho to chase him with a rifle, um, and that hunt was awesome. It was warmer the archery hunt up there was cold it was snowing during the archery and then i went out for the rifle it was a lot warmer mm-hmm. and we hiked hard we hunted hard over i think i was there for another week maybe and uh we saw one pretty good buck that i didn't get an opportunity at and a lot of little deer and uh the same kind of a thing you know we saw bears and moose and i had a great hunt had a great time in idaho but i never did get an opportunity to take a buck up there i ended up basically eating about a thousand dollars worth of tags in idaho oh wow now is that uh is that the only time you've ever hunted idaho that was the first time yeah i didn't i hadn't i haven't got back this year i might end up there on a late archery tag this year Mm -hmm. but yeah that was the only time i've ever hunted idaho okay okay it was a learning experience but it was awesome it always is man yeah so now you're going to arizona yeah so i got back um and i'd never done that hunt before either now, was I'd that all, when you went with the Hush? I can't remember. I went to Colorado with them okay. uh, last year um, for third season. I didn't have a tag. I just kind of went for the party. Yeah. And hung around, watched them kill, uh, watched BMAC kill a really good buck out there. Okay. Um, and came home, and then I went to Arizona the 1st of January is when that started. Okay, that's right. That's right. Okay. So I went down on that over-the-counter mule deer hunt, um, and I was with Eric, I guess, down there. Yeah, you were with Eric. That's right. Yeah, and then with uh, Rob Turkla, who's Lunkers, Lunkers TV. Yeah. Um, I went down there on my own, actually, and I was kind of hunting a spot where I'd seen deer while shed hunting in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, really low success rate hunt, really tough hunt. Um, but the very first morning I was down there, I got on a great big buck. Mm-hmm. I glassed him up and put a move on him, and it almost happened. I got to 55 yards on him, and I uh, just got busted by a doe. And he spooked around, but I kind of had an idea where he was going. So I left and I walked up and got around above him and he came by me at 80 yards. And I could have shot at 80, but I just wasn't comfortable taking that shot. So I let let him walk by me. And then the next morning he was back in the same spot, but there were some other people, I guess, who had seen him because they were going at him at first light. Mm -hmm. And so I just went to his escape route where he'd gone the day before when he got bumped. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing happened. He came by me, but I had moved a little closer, and he came by me at 60 yards. So I drew on that buck. He stopped. I shot, and the second my release went off, he spun, and I just shot in front of him. And uh, he turned and ran out into the flat, and then when he went out in the flat in the wide open, everybody saw him. Oh, really? There were like 10 trucks, and they just started chasing him. No way chasing them in their trucks and running them all over and i was just like well this is done for um and so i ended up uh, moving units and going and meeting up with eric and rob and ben sandal and uh they were hunting a different unit and i just kind of went to help glass for them rob and eric were stalking in and trying to rattle in some big rutting muleys and uh i was just kind of glassing and helping them and in the middle of the day there was a pond and uh, they asked Rob if he wanted to sit it through the day in a blind, and he didn't really want to. So I'm like, well, I'll go sit that pond. So I went and sat on this pond, and 
um, had deer coming in all day because it was warm and they were rutting and they were thirsty. Um, so I just kind of sat there on the pond and I remember I dozed off, which is pretty typical of me. <laughs> Fell asleep and I woke up because I could hear deer slurping water out of the pond. No way. Uh -huh, so I opened my eyes and there's a doe drinking and then I see this buck coming out behind her. And I'd been sitting there ranging everything and they're drinking right next to my 25 yard marker. Uh huh. Oh man, this is, this is perfect. So I drew back my bow and the doe saw me draw and they all kind of spooked. But this buck just kept his head down, headed right to the water and started drinking broadside at 25 yards. And I settled my pin, let it go and just watch that fletch bury right, right hugging his front shoulder right where you want it. Really? Mm -hmm. And that buck turned and ran over the edge of the pond, and I heard him just crash, pile up, and uh, went over there, and he hadn't gone maybe 60 yards and piled up. Oh, that's epic, man. Yeah, he was, and he's such a cool buck, just really heavy-horned and just no teeth. His teeth are totally worn flat. The taxidermist I took him to said he was probably 9, nine to 10 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, just very, very mature buck and uh, on the downhill. Yeah. But it was awesome. I, I had zero expectations on that hunt. I didn't think I was going to take anything. It's such a low odds thing, late season archery, and then just to have it kind of come together on a, on a fluke yeah. and be with my buddies and with those guys, it was an awesome hunt. Well, I mean, and isn't that so funny how it just – sometimes that's just how it goes, man. It just comes together on a fluke and you're just sitting there and, and boom, it happens. Yeah, and that was like, I mean, I was asleep and I woke up and there he was. Just yeah. slurping water. <laughs> Just <laughs> yep. like laughing at you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was funny, man. Like, and, I, and there's a there's also coos deer in that unit. I wanted to shoot a coos buck. Uh huh. But after I shot this deer, I got out of the blind to go get my arrow, and there was a coos buck coming down the hill. No and, way. But it, it was okay. It was still awesome. Yeah. But it was yeah. exciting, and I'm going to do that hunt again here. And, about a month or two. In January, as soon as it rolls up. Yep, I'll be down there again. Yeah, they, they're trying to get me to go down there to go do an Arizona hunt, but I'm like, dude, I got to take off a bunch of time for sheep yeah. show and Western Hunt Expo. and. Yeah, it's a hard time of year. All this stuff, and I'm like, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. We still got to go back and do an elk hunt. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, that's um, a lot on your plate, man. Yeah, that's fun, though. Yeah. Right. It's that. It's what we're talking about earlier, man. I'm living. I'm living in my own dream. Right. Of everything that I've ever wanted to do in my entire life. That's what it's about, man. Like if you were a millionaire, you'd be doing the same thing, right? Yeah. I just wouldn't have a job. Yeah. That's all. That's. I mean, I think about it. If I had all the money in the world, the only difference is I'd be buying slightly better tags. <laughs> that's it. Be buying landowner tags and not general yeah. over-the-counter tags. <laughs> That's right. I'd be buying some better stuff, but when it's I, fun. It's but, fun to grind out these over-the-counter tags too. Yeah, dude. Well, it's, and that I feel like for me, that's part of it. You know, it's like, dude, opening day in Utah this year, where I hunted, was was so different. And same with in California, man. It was so different, dude. And I've like last year, I don't remember seeing half the amount of hunters that i saw this year on the mountain yeah last year everybody was in their trucks they were down on the roads with spotters out the windows nobody went up the mountain this year dude in the same place i hunted last year there's like 24 guys on the mountain opening morning and they started hiking up at 3 a.m in the dark oh, blew out man. the entire mountain 
Yeah. And yeah, I had gone up. I had gone up the day before and camped out on the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just, you know, they blew it out. We moved spots, moved to another spot, and it was just like pumpkin patch, dude. There was orange on every single ridge in every single valley, everywhere I looked. Everywhere I looked, and last year, everybody, nobody would. Like I said, nobody got out of their vehicles. And it's the same problem in California this year. It's just like, I don't know what it is, but now people want to get out and hike. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we blew it by telling everybody that that's how you kill big stuff and, and more is by getting out of the truck. I mean, I'm we not going to say you're right, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> we should be encouraging road hunting. Yeah. Just for our own selfish reasons. I've thought about that a lot. Like, I need to be, why am I telling people that shed hunting's fun? Yeah. All I'm doing is creating competition for myself. Right. But, oh and well. I mean, don't take me wrong, man. Like I'm no backcountry hunter, dude. I'm not, I'm not throwing a backpack on and going in seven or 10 miles or 15 miles or anything like that. Like, yeah, I would, I, I would, I would do some crazy backcountry hunt like that if I had a gang of horses with me and yeah. they were packing all my gear, <laughs> you know, but. I mean, yeah. I can hike. I mean, usually an, on a good hunting day for me, it's like five to ten, maybe maybe twelve miles. Yeah, that's a good day for anybody. You know what I mean? And and that like I don't. That takes me pretty far back there if I end up getting back there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I, I don't do, uh, I'll do whatever kind of hunting the unit you know is most conducive to success. Because there's a lot of units like um, where the most productive way to hunt is to drive around in glass. Yeah, and to to get high and uh, to find, you know, glassing points, and you just have to do what is the most effective way to hunt a unit. There's some places you just have to get away from the crowd, and that means going farther than everybody else. Yeah, so you just do whatever you got to do. Yeah. So let's roll into 2018. All right, let's do it. So, how how'd your 2018 season go? What hunts did you have? So I had the same elk tag, except they changed the rules here in Utah this year so that you can buy a general elk tag that's valid for all three seasons. So you mm-hmm. can hunt archery, rifle, and muzzleloader with it. Uh-huh. This is the first year they've ever offered that, so I didn't have to pick. Whereas in 2017, I could only hunt archery. This year, I could hunt all three. So I put a ton of time into that hunt um, as usual, and we had a very, very difficult archery hunt this year. Yeah it was more standard of how it's been in past years 2017 we saw a lot of elk yeah Um, and 2018 i really only got into the elk i think twice in the whole archery hunt which was almost 30 days and did you say it's like a five percent success rate if i if i recall that yeah i think that's the number that i super low it is yeah it's really low public land success rate is very very low yeah so um, I got into the elk just a couple times. Um, we called in a good bull right towards the end of the hunt. Um, he's a five-by-six bull. Um, and he came in. I had him at 38 yards for like 26 minutes. Like he just stood around, but such thick cover I had no shot. Um, my cousin was with me. He could see the bull's neck and his one antler at like – he was at about 55 yards. And – we just never got an opportunity and that bull kind of fed up and out and never got a shot and then uh that same day about well about a half hour later um we went walking down kind of out of there and i had a spike bull walk by me like at 15 yards uh-huh. 
And uh, in this unit, you can shoot any bull, and I think you're dumb if you don't shoot any bull. Um, yeah. Because the difficulty of it. So this spike walked by me at 15. I'm like, this is a done deal. I'm going to eat that thing. I drew back, <laughs> and I really wasn't nervous. Settled my pin, shot. And I'm like, oh, that's a dead bull. Got another arrow. He ran across the creek and stopped, and I shot, and I pegged that arrow, what I think is into his shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. Heard it smack. Um and I'm like, ah, that's okay. My first shot was good. I don't think I got good penetration on the second shot. Um, but it should be good, right? Yeah. So then I walk over to recover my first arrow, and it's totally clean. And Bone I was dry. like, what the heck happened? Heartbreak. Did I, did I miss this bull at 15 yards? That's what just happened. Heartbreak. Yeah, no kidding. I looked down, and my slider set at 50 yards. Oh, no. And I shot 50, my 50 yard pin at 15 yards and shot over his back oh no so my second shot had got i think what i think is into his shoulder blade um so i went over to where my second shot was and i found my arrow that had got about four inches of penetration and uh there was a little bit of blood there and we started kind of we gave him a while and we started following him and then we saw him going up the opposite hillside which was about 500 yards away following all the cows and he was just going strong up the, the side hill. No problem. So we, yeah, we gave him a while. We went after him over there. I wanted to see if I could stalk him and get another arrow in him. Ended up jumping him out of his bed, and he was in the lead of about 15 cows. And they jumped the fence into the private, and they went um, up across actually a lava flow, like crazy terrain. And he was running just fine, and that was the last time I ever saw that bull. Oh, wow. So I think he lived. You never know what can happen. He could have got an infection and died later. But um, did everything we could to try to find that bull again, try to recover him, and never saw him again. Yeah. So that was how the archery ended. And as soon as the archery was over, um, I headed to Colorado. I had a Colorado muzzleloader um, deer tag. Yeah. And so I went out there, um, spent about, uh, I think I was there for about eight days. And I chased one giant buck pretty much the whole time. Um, he was in a small piece of private, and uh, he he knew it. He knew he was safe there. I caught him out of the private property one time and didn't get a shot at him, but pretty much spent that whole hunt chasing that deer, probably 190-inch four-point. Mm-hmm. And about two days before that hunt ended, my wife started having pretty regular contractions. <laughs> she was... Uh, eight and a half months pregnant oh damn so i motored for home yeah i didn't want to mess didn't want to miss my kid being born i mean it would have been all right but uh i didn't want to miss my kid being born so i came home yeah. um hunt and i didn't end up taking anything in colorado how many days so, were you there for i think i was there for eight. Oh, so you were there for like plenty of time oh yeah and yeah. i uh the whole time i was the hunts this year i was doing a daily video series on youtube yeah so I was super busy. Um, I would film all day and then I would, you know, go back to wherever I was staying and edit a video and then upload it and then try to sleep and film. So it was like just a grind mm-hmm. work and sleeping very little. So it was good to come home for a few days. And, uh, I think, yeah, my wife went into labor like three days after I got home from Colorado. So it was like a- perfect timing. Yeah, it was perfect. Uh, you can't beat that, man. No, it was great. So we had our little boy. Um, I stayed home for a couple weeks, uh, maybe a week and a half after he was born, until 
um, she was home and settled and she had a really, really good birth and, um, she was up and at it really quick afterwards. And so I was able to take off and go hunt the Utah muzzleloader deer after that. You named your kid B-Dubs, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's his name. (laughs) His name is River. Um, the hippiest name we could think of. Nice. Um, Yeah. His brothers are Ridge and Timber. So Uh we decided to stick with that hippie outdoors thing. Yeah. But everything went well with that, and uh, yeah, it was good. So, yeah, then we moved on to Utah mule deer um, muzzleloader, mm-hmm. and uh, I got up. We went to our same backcountry spot where I killed the buck in 2017, um, and uh, backpacked in. And uh, let's see, man, it's all blurring together in my head now. Right? It's an oh, side note, dude. Isn't it crazy how like? We pack these like monstrosity hunt seasons because this is what we live for all year long is the season, right? Mm-hmm. And then it starts happening and we're racking out these hunts and these adventures and like eight-day excursions, four-day excursions, five days, you know what I mean? Like all these different things. And then you try to like recap it and look back on it, dude, and you're looking at this like mess of a blur of time. And yeah. somewhere in the middle of that, you had a child. Right. Like. <laughs> Dude, are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah. It was it was a lot this year and it was insanity for sure. So you but, packed into Utah. Yeah, we we hiked up in there back to our same backcountry spot. It's about uh it's about an eight mile pack in to where we stay up there. Mm-hmm. Um and we got up the first morning and uh at hunted the first day the first morning we saw some decent deer but none within range my buddy saw this one really tall buck had a really good frame a buck that we deemed a shooter um but it was too far away we were muzzleload hunting so um no shot opportunity on that buck that morning and that evening we kind of switched spots i went to where he'd seen that buck the morning prior and he kind of went over to where i was to chase this other buck that we thought was in that area and right at dark that buck fed out um, maybe like 10 minutes before dark and it was just a tall buck with a big frame. Mm-hmm. There was about 15 or 20 other bucks on that hillside and he was far and above the best deer there. So I went to put my scope on him and he was looking right into the sun and it kept flaring in my scope and I couldn't get like a really good look at him. I had to wait for the sun to go behind the hill. And then once the sun went behind the hill, it was a little dark. But I finally got confident to where I could see my crosshairs good on him. I took the shot, mm-hmm. smack really hard, and I thought I'd hit the rock. Oh, um, no. It was behind him. I'm like, oh, I think I just missed like a great deer. So I walked over there where he was standing. I took about probably 45 minutes to an hour and just gridded, looking for blood, looking for the deer, didn't find anything. And so I went back to camp, and my buddy heard me shoot, and he asked what was going on. I told him that I'd uh, shot at that the big frame deer uh-huh. uh, that I'd missed. And so we went back the next morning to that same spot, and we saw the buck that was with him, but that deer never showed back up. So my buddy Troy says, let's go look for blood one more time. Said, okay. So we went over there. We were standing in the daylight. We'd been over there for an hour just kicking around, talking. We had a snack, and uh, we get over there and look down, and, and Troy's like, there's blood. No. Um, oh shiz so then i panicked and i started just frantically like running around trying to grid everywhere i could where i thought this deer might have gone and i'm jumping all these other deer seeing all these other bucks 
and uh, just like in a panic because it's been 80 plus degrees um, in the afternoons, and I know this deer's going to spoil. And so this is the, you're looking for that little two by three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I knew he was a good deer, but in my experience, yes, I have shot many big deer that turned into two by threes when they were on the ground, but I was fairly sure he was big. So Troy stays back and starts following the blood trail and I'm just gritting like crazy, looking for birds, looking for anything. And we looked pretty much through that day. We couldn't find him. We went back and, um, regrouped at camp. And then I came back in the afternoon to look more and I, uh, got up on a rock pile to try to glass. And when I was on the rock pile, I jumped a deer that we've seen up there for a couple years, another deer that we deemed a shooter. And he's like, uh, big big buck 28 inch wide he's only a three point but just <laughs> bladed and heavy he actually ended up being killed but he's just a giant three point and i almost shot him and i thought i can't do it you know i just i, I know i hit this other deer i think he might be dead like i have to wrap this story up you know so i let that deer walk mm-hmm. and five minutes after i passed that deer i moved onto a rock pile and was glassing and i glassed what looked like some white fur like a deer's underbelly mm-hmm. and I moved down the ridge to get a different vantage point and I could see <laughs> it was funny I could see a deer's nutsack <laughs> I know right of all the random things I'm like that's I know what that is yo that's a nutsack yeah which is a weird thing to glass up but that's I mean I seriously had like a two foot opening in the trees and that's what I could see mm-hmm. and then I went um, to where I had kind of a different angle and I could see a hoof sticking up in the air mm-hmm. so I run down off the rock and I get over there, and here's this deer. He's like a thousand plus yards away from where I shot him. He no was way. actually hit fairly well. Yeah, I hit him where I was aiming. Um, I kind of entered behind the shoulder and angled out through, and kind of came out the hip. But a good shot, you know, a lethal shot. Yeah. But the deer's totally spoiled. No. No. He's bloated. Um, he's got. I mean, just brown stuff coming out of his nose. You can—he stinks. It's been—it was 87 degrees that afternoon up there. Yeah. And he's—he's he's ruined. And dude, I was just like tore up. Like I felt so bad, just because I love the meat, you know. And like, he was one of my better deer. Really high, scored really well. Has a big frame. Had some extras. But I was just like, yeah, he's got just, a little cheater, doesn't he? Yeah, it's two cheaters on the one side and one little cheater on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, I mean, like a 170 class mule deer, but just there's like this black cloud hanging over the whole deal, you know, just because I lost the meat and I felt terrible about it. Yeah. I didn't That's know what to rough, do. man. Yeah, I called my dad. I was like probably crying on the phone and I was just like, I don't know what to do. He's like, well, cut your tag, go home. Like, what else can you do? So that's what I did. Um, just tagged him and, uh, just went and helped friends after that. Yeah. So it was hard, man. It was hard walking away, leaving all that meat sitting there. I just felt, I felt bad. And then did, did Troy follow up right after that with the buck? Um, so we went home for a couple days. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we went back in, uh, we were trying to beat a weather front. Uh, We were planning on going out. His wife was up there with us and she had to, um, go back home. So we walked out with her and we hauled out. Um, some gear and we came back in a couple days later and it was just pouring rain and really just the weather was terrible we debated not getting out of the tent but we're like forget it we got to try yeah so we got out i mean just 
got absolutely soaked. And right where I'd killed the deer in 2017, we ran into a herd of bucks. Um, mm-hmm. The last one in the group was a really good buck, really wide buck. And I told Troy, I'm like, dude, with the circumstances, man, you got to shoot that deer. So he shot, the deer went right down. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're high five. And I'm like, dude, reload. And he's like, oh, we're good, we're good. I'm like, reload right now because I've seen so many deer, you know. So he started reloading, that buck jumped up and took off. And uh, we ended up having a little bit of a jungle chase. Like we had to run that deer down. It got into some timber, but it took us about 15 minutes to get on it again. And he put another shot in it and got it done. Yeah. But it was just a really wide four-point, pretty, pretty buck, about 28 inches wide. And uh, we got it done. We're very, very happy with that deer. That's awesome. Now, what would you say that buck scored that he shot? You know, I don't, think don't know. Yeah, I, he's probably like a one hundred and sixty type deer. He didn't have um, great forks, mm-hmm. but he was a really old buck and really wide. Yeah, um, he's just one of those deer that probably wasn't a score, but was a nice mature, still a perfect buck, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and with the circumstances, the weather, the rain, like we were very happy to find him and get it down on him. Yeah. So, and he uh, he looks really big in the pictures too. That's the best thing about him. So now tell me, you roll out of that hunt and go straight down to Texas. Yeah, yep. So I headed to, uh, I went to New Mexico actually. New Mexico, right okay, okay, sorry. Yeah. So I rolled, I rolled to New Mexico I bought a landowner tag in New Mexico, short notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I guess, you know what, we actually hunted the Utah rifle elk first. Uh-huh. I put in some time on that and hunted actually pretty hard with the rifles on that and never got an opportunity in an elk. And so then I left after maybe five or six days of hunting on, in Utah and headed to New Mexico. Yeah. And bought that landowner tag for like, well, I'll just it's unit 50, mm-hmm. which is known for being like a very tough hunt usually a resident can draw it like as a third choice um has a very very low success rate but i actually met up with some friends from instagram down there um my buddy joe and his wife michaela Uh they have a little sangry outdoors yeah um but man they rolled out the red carpet for me they had a camper for us to stay in they had the unit scouted and they worked their butts off for me. And I, man, I can't tell those guys. I appreciate them so much. No way. That's awesome. Yeah. And they invited me, like, uh, took me to all the good places to eat Mexican food. Well, new Mexican food. I kept getting in trouble for calling, <laughs> but like the green chilies. We hunted really, really hard. We hiked a lot. The night before the opener, um, we saw a really good bowl, um, for that unit, you know, a five point and, uh, Tried to find him the next day, and dude, there was just people everywhere, hordes and hordes of people road hunting, and so we didn't end up seeing an elk the whole first day. Um, we never actually saw an elk till the second evening, and uh, got in on a herd, glassed a bull from the road, and ran up on him, and uh, got to 300 yards, and we're sitting there waiting for the bull to come out. We saw all the cows, and the bull had just either fed around the hill or got into the timber, and he never, never fed out. Um, we hunted for, man, I want to say that whole week and we saw elk here and there. I jumped one small bull. We hiked up a big mountain and I jumped a small bull. didn't get a shot at him. Yeah. But finally the last morning we got up 
I remember me and Joe just had like this pep talk. We're like, dude, no matter what happens, this has been an awesome experience. I had so much fun. Like, let's just go hard as we can. Let's go balls out today, and we'll see if we can just make it happen. Get this thing done. So we were prepared, man. We were gonna go hike the biggest mountain the whole day, and we're cruising down the road to go to the mountain. And Joe's like, "There's elk," <laughs> and I look, and they're out in the flat. And man, I like, I have a history of getting overly excited, right? When I uh-huh. see animals. And like rushing it, maybe not making the best shots. But I saw these elk and I just lost it because I hadn't seen elk the whole week. And there was a good bull in the herd. Yeah. But I rested my um, gun like over on the fence and took a shot. And as soon as I should pull the trigger, I knew I'd missed. And the elk started running. And so we actually had to sprint clear around and get in front of them again. And I actually came across the road in front of us, all the cows, but the bull wasn't with them. And I looked to the left out in the flat, and there's the bull with a handful of cows way out in the flat. So I go running just out through the flat as fast as I can. Got out there, and there was a small, like a, a juniper tree out in the flat. And I put my gun in the top of it, and I'm out of breath, just like trying to breathe, trying to breathe, trying to breathe. And uh, I look through my scope, and my crosshairs are all over the place. But the bull's just standing there. He wants to go past us to get up into the mountains. Mm-hmm. And so finally, after probably five minutes all the cows part and the bulls just by himself in the middle i knew that was my moment so i just got my breath together and i finally just put a good shot and i hit him right in the lungs nice and he kind of separated off from the cows and i chambered another round and uh, i shot him and hit him in the neck and he just went right down oh wow and i was just like you know how you have those moments where you like sometimes you'll kill an animal on opening morning you're like hey we're done great you know yeah um, this is one of those ones where the just the weight came off my shoulders of killing this bull after so much work, dude, and I just like got super emotional. Yeah, all just came out, you know. I'm yeah. walking up this bull, having driven eight hours and stayed down there the whole hunt, plus a couple of days of scouting, being away from my family, my new baby. It just was like a wave of emotion just like crashed over me well not to mention i mean fatigue from everything of all of the traveling and and you know running yourself to the grindstone doing you know doing backcountry hunts hiking in miles and miles and miles you know what happened with your deer having a kid you know hunting other states did you have you have this like laundry list of things that you're coming off of in, in what, a, a three-month time period maybe? Maybe yeah. less than that? Yeah, we'd been grinding for so long, man, yeah. with the, the daily series and stuff. You know, and, and like, so does that that basically means you're filming during the daytime, trying to get content while trying to find animals, and then editing at night and going to sleep. Right. Right? Yeah. And so like I've, that in itself is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> It was just the it was the adrenaline dump and the emotion dump of all that, and it was just I cried, dude. I cried like a little baby when That's I walked up. That's awesome, dude. So, so how crazy how crazy is it that you guys had been hunting there and looking for elk, and you'd never seen this herd of elk, and then that morning they decide to be there. Aren't aren't elk just amazing at how they can do that? <laughs> Yeah, how do they hide? And this was like 30 elk, you know? It wasn't like and, – and this is sagebrush, pinion, juniper con- country. Like, yeah. It was weird. It's like they just materialized. There they are. Yep. And is after it, all that time of looking, they're in the wide open, you know, a mile down the road from our camp. Isn't that insane, man? It's. I was trying to explain that. Anthony and I were just on a 
mule deer and elk hunting in Colorado and I was or in, in Montana, not Colorado. And I was trying to explain to him like, dude, we can just wake up tomorrow and there's elk. That's yep. it's that it's like I don't want to say it's that easy because it's not easy at all. But the right. elk will be there when they want to be there. Yep. You know There's what so I mean? Like that. Yeah. And especially this unit that I hunt like in Utah, I, I end up driving myself crazy because I hunt the same places 30 times without seeing elk and then one day they're there. And it's like, where would you guys come from? Right. Why is today the day? Why wasn't it five days ago? Yeah. How come it's not? How come it wasn't opening morning? Right. But that's the fun of it, man. That's what yeah. keeps you back. You never know. And it really like it can drive you crazy too because you'll see people who hunt one day and they kill them. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> dude, it's like that next ridge syndrome, man. It's like how many ridges have I gone over being like, well, maybe if I just look over that next ridge, there's going to be, you know, some deer down there, some elk down there, you know. Oh, well, maybe I'll just go to the next one and the next one. And then, and then all of a sudden it's like, how did I get here? Yeah. And I think sometimes the elk are doing the same thing. They're just wondering what's over the next ridge and they just keep walking away from you. Right. <laughs> Seems like they just, I've seen them do it. You know, I've seen them do it on some of these units in Utah where you'll spook them. They'll blow out of the country and then they'll just stay wherever they went. Yeah. Like, and weird. they'll blow out too. Like they'll run five miles. No, like no questions asked, not stopping. They're just gone. Yep. Yeah. That's the way they are. They're crazy and they're a lot more nomadic than deer. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, a, it was a great hunt, a great experience with those people. We did this thing called a, a Lomo party, mm-hmm. um, which is like Lomo's backstrap. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get like the discs off a tractor, and they heat them up, and then they fry the backstrap, and then they do homemade tortillas and sopapillas. Oh and my it, God. Dude, it was so good. If you guys check out a YouTube video of mine, go check out that uh, part two of my New Mexico series. And like, we do like a full breakdown of that party, that family party after that was the highlight of the hunt for me. Really? It was, it was amazing food. The whole family comes over and gets together and they're telling these hunting stories. Like it was just one of those special moments, you know, that's epic, dude. It was great. That's so awesome. I love watching that kind of tradition too. Cause everybody, every family has got their own, their own, you know, style of tradition when it comes to the harvest, you know what I mean? When it comes to the kill of the animal. Yeah. These guys do that every time. Every time somebody kills an animal, uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, sisters, everybody comes over. They have a party and they all, you know, every time somebody kills a bull, they'll just eat one of the back straps and have a big party. How cool is that, man? It was great, man. I love that tradition. I want to start it. Right. And that's like what we do with the flip flop, you know what I mean? With the venison hindquarter. Yep. You know, that's like our family tradition. Every deer we get, you know, hams, everybody's like leg steaks. I'm like, no way, dude. You take that whole thing, pack it out, you pack it out with a bone in it. That's a meal for, you know, 50 or 60 people right there. That's so awesome, dude. I love that. Yeah. Just wait. You'll be eating it. You'll be eating it soon enough. Let's do it. I'm stoked. Hell yeah. So from New Mexico and then to Texas. Yep. So I drove all night. I left at New Mexico at about 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Drove all night and I got back to Utah. Um, I stayed home for a few days and then I flew out to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I flew to Dallas. Um, a buddy of mine who has a podcast called The Hunt Cast. Yeah, The Hunt Cast. That's what I was going to make sure we said that. Yeah, his name's TJ Schaefer. He's a super entertaining Texas guy. He's, he's hilarious. He's a riot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
yeah, he totally hooked me up on this trip. Um, I did his podcast a while back, and he's like, dude, we'd love to have you come down and hunt and stuff. I actually paid for my ticket so I could go down there. Oh, but cool. Very, very generous dude. Same thing, man. Just like awesome family. W- rolled out the carpet for me. Um, he had blinds and everything ready, but we flew into Dallas. Um, we uh, drove out to uh, his deer camp, and uh, it's a, they have a, a lease out there that's actually leased from a timber company. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's managed in conjunction with the state of Texas. So they do uh, wildlife management with the state. The state allots tags, um, gives them harvest objective numbers. Oh, really? Yeah, so they do all through the state. Um, and it's low fence, you know, no fence really. Uh-huh. Uh, they, it's it's all wild deer. They come and go as they want. Is um, there like black bucks and stuff like that as well? or They have got some red deer. Yeah. Um, on trail camera before they do get exotics that come through occasionally but that part of the state it's in it's in the far east side of texas it's about it's only about 50 miles from shreveport louisiana oh, okay so it's they're not as pervasive on that um part of the state so yeah and we rolled out there to his lease it was pouring rain when we got in there they have like a cool deer camp set up with a bunch of trailers um and like they all just go out and they have their their stands that they sit we went and pulled trail cameras the night that we got there and we got his uh he has a polaris ranger and we sunk that thing dude oh we got it so stuck now did you post a video or something of that too yeah i think i threw one on instagram and then um the youtube series is up on this too but um dude we buried it and so we ended up walking out of the lease back to the hunting camp in the morning <laughs> the first night i was there and uh it was kind of cool though me and tj had a good talk and that was really where we got to know each other, chatting about like traditions and stuff and hunting and growing up and telling me about his family. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And so we walked out of the lease and then the next morning we went back in and we went and sat that stand where uh, this stuck ranger was like right in front <laughs> of me. But uh, I thought it would ruin it, but those deer didn't seem to care at all. Right. We'd ride at first light. We had a bunch of does come in and we're, you're hunting over a feeder down there. And I know a lot of people like have a bit of an ethical issue with that. Yeah, but it's Texas and it's legal. Yeah, you know, but, I mean, the, there's a reason why you can hunt by a feeder out there because the numbers of the population of the animals is just like so out of control. Right. There's a ton of deer. The buck to doe ratio is way skewed. It's out of control. Mm-hmm. And also, it's so thick in that timber country, you would never see these deer yeah. if you didn't have a feeder. And so we're hunting a clear cut that the timber company cut um, maybe last year. Mm-hmm. And then he has a food plot planted there as well. And right at first light, we had a few does come out on the feeder. And uh, that was one of the objectives for me going down there is I wanted to get some whitetail meat. I'd never really eaten it. So he's like, shoot one of those does. So, you know, the first hour in the stand, I shot a big doe. Um, She went and died right there. And then throughout the morning, we had a whole bunch of different bucks come by. But they're shooting, looking to shoot a very specific type of deer there. Mm -hmm. Um, it either has to be over 130 inches, um, which is like a very good whitetail in that yeah. part of the country, um, or it has to be a coal buck that's over four and a half years old. Mm-hmm. So really, I mean, we were looking for a very specific buck, and we saw one buck that was over 130 inches but just got no shot opportunity at it. And uh, so that was that. Um, set through the first day. And then that night, we went and hunted pigs with uh, thermal imaging. <laughs> And dude, that is unreal. Lighten them up. The craziest thing I've ever done. 
Like, it's like Call of Duty. Straight up. Real life, man. It yeah. was crazy. Is that not so much fun, though? Like, running around with thermal optics and seeing mm-hmm. pigs and... It was a blast. And, like, I like I always had this... I don't know if I call it an ethical dilemma, but I'm always like, how is this going to play? You know, what are people going to think if they see me out shooting pigs at night? But when you go out firsthand, you see the damage they're doing to the farmland out there. And like the damage they do to wildlife. And you see the trail camera pictures of them eating fawns. Like it's, uh, it's something that has to happen. Yeah. Like these pigs have to be controlled. They're super invasive and they just do so much damage. So once I kind of got a better understanding side, it's a, it's a must. Yeah. So once I got it in my head that I'm like, we need to wipe these things out, then it was like all on, man. Then it was like, I don't know, Navy SEAL type stuff. <laughs> but it was so cool. We rode around and we just drive through the roads. And the guy that we were with, his name's Joey, um, and his his company's called Thermal Outfitters. Mm-hmm. And we would ride um, kind of in his Ranger and just kind of look out with the thermal imaging until you see a herd of pigs. And then you'd sneak over and get within like 50 yards. And you set up on a tripod and just go one, two, three, and just – he tried to shoot him in the shoulder because you want him to go down right there. Yeah. But I couldn't get it out of my head because I'm so used to shooting everything like in the lungs, you know? Yeah. So I would shoot the first one where I was supposed to and usually it would go down. And then after they kind of went chaos, then I kept shooting them in the lungs and they'd just run into the trees. So we spent a lot of time trying to follow them into the trees. But um, it was fun. I think we probably killed somewhere around 20 pigs. <laughs> that night and uh, we had like uh i was shooting a fn scar mm-hmm. and, and so uh 556 or 308 308 nice and it's suppressed oh god so it's just there's a video of it on my youtube and i put in some footage of of joey's from some past hunts that's mm-hmm. it looks like a video game yeah so we stayed out all night doing that um got a bunch of pigs and then we Went the next day, sat the deer stand again, had some bucks come by, and then we sat a pig that or a stand that night for pigs, and uh, didn't have any pigs come by, but had a bobcat come in, mm-hmm. and uh, they manage the bobcats down there because they're also managing for like quail and a lot of different game birds and stuff, so they like to keep tabs on that population, keep them under control. So uh, TJ told me to shoot the bobcat, and it came in, and I did, and it was a beautiful, beautiful bobcat. That was the first one that I've ever killed. Are you getting that mounted or? So I really wanted to. I wanted to get it. Um, I was going to have it soft hand, mm-hmm. but it was right in that transition phase between its summer coat and its winter coat. Oh, really? So we called the taxidermist. We talked to him, and he's like, "Just take your hand and brush it with the grain. If it doesn't shed, you're good." And I, I went and brushed the grain, and I mean, I was just getting hair off of it like crazy. He's like, "You'll lose all that hair in the tanning process." He's like, "It's just not worth it." Yeah. So I was kind of disappointed with that. Like, if I would have known that ahead of time, I don't know if I, I would actually even pull the trigger on it, but. It was uh, it was a cool experience to see him, see it up close. It was cool. Mm-hmm. So we sat that stand, and then the next day we sat for deer one more time, had some bucks come through once again, but we did have one deer that we could have shot, never got a good opportunity at it, though, and ended up going home um, just taking a doe with me and some pig meat, and I actually carried it on on the airplane. <laughs> I saw fun. that. I saw that. It was like a little red cooler, right? Yeah, I had a little cooler. Um, I had the right Yeti on the side for sponsorship reasons. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I took it through TSA, man, and the lady, she looked at me like I was insane. Yeah, I, um, I, I've traveled with a hindquarter once. I flew down to Southern California 
<laughs> to go do a flip flop at NASCAR. Is it like wow. three or four years ago? And uh, everybody in the in the in the terminal was like, "Why do you have a bloody sack? Like, what is going on here?" Like, especially yeah. going into LA, nobody was thrilled about it. Yeah, and luckily Texas is a little more friendly to that kind of stuff. Um, the lady at TSA, she's like, "Do you have food in that cooler?" Yes, I do. She's like, "Can I see it?" Yeah, if you want. So I popped it open, and she's like digging around with her gloves in the cooler. And uh, she put it through the scanner. She told the guy running the scanner, his name was Daquan. Mm -hmm. She's like, Daquan, this looks bad, but I promise it's okay. <laughs> and then, so afterwards, Daquan comes around and he's like, can I see it? He's like, yeah, man. So I opened it up. He's like, can I see the heart? Because I had the heart in there and everything. Yes. He was super interested. And he's like, do you feel better when you eat this kind of meat? And I was like, yeah, I definitely Actually, do. Yeah. He started asking yeah. me about all these questions about the ethics of hunting and the, the health benefits of eating wild game and then ended up actually taking down my information like from my instagram and stuff that he wants to get into hunting and try hunting so it was pretty cool now how amazing is that you know what i how, mean like how amazing is that to get to have that experience a for him as a first timer and somebody who's interested in wanting to get into it and b for get for you getting to be the person that conveys and passes along that message do you know what i, I mean hope. like yeah. That's so that's so amazing and it's so important. We were talking about it earlier. It's so to me that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? Like it is all like for me I've been and it sounds like the same for you like freely given hunting through generations of it being passed down in our families and for us to get to give it back to other people and get to help other people along the way. Yeah. It's it's so amazing, man. And and like just to get to hear that that guy was like she kind of told him like, "Hey, you know, like there's some weird stuff in that cooler." And then he's like, "Oh, I want to check this out. Like I want to see, you know, show me what a backstrap is. Show me the heart." Like Yeah. You know, that's amazing, man. It was awesome. We had a pretty good conversation, you know, like he was obviously working, so I only got to talk to him for a few minutes, but um, you know, told him to check it out and told him gave him some resources for websites where he could learn a little bit more and Yeah. Told hit me up on social media anytime yeah but he said interested in trying it so it was really it was cool and I, I think that like I don't know what it is like I have people come up and talk to me about that kind of stuff a lot and it's like you said it's one of the, the best things that we can do one of my favorite parts of it is just helping to educate people who um, don't have an opinion about it yet because there's a lot of people who are already opinionated they love it or they hate it but there's also this large group of people who haven't formed their opinion yet and if you yeah. can be the to help them form that opinion you can do a lot for future opportunities yeah right yeah so, so you come back yep flew home from texas carrying this cooler that weighed 68 pounds was full of meat <laughs> yeah and it was hard i got on the plane i was trying to act like it wasn't heavy because like they have a maximum carry-on weight you know mm -hmm. but <laughs> i had to pretend like it wasn't heavy so they wouldn't weigh it but they let me store it in the front of the plane. And I got it home. I was carrying that and my gun case and my Yeti bags through Vegas airport, man. You get some looks. Yeah, I bet. But it was good. Got home, got that deer all taken care of, and then um, was home for a few days and then headed out muzzleloader elk hunting on the same general tag that I've been hunting all year. So, and that was just recently. When yeah, you that, was, for that was like last week. Yep. Yeah, and that's the same unit that's kind of in my backyard. 
Um, so I went and hunted the first morning and I ran into a kid. He's actually from California. Oh, great. Okay. And, uh, he's a great kid. Don't good, worry, man. Good, good. <laughs> and his name's Tyler. And I passed him on the road and I saw him hit his brakes and throw on his reverse lights. And so I backed up like I didn't know if he needed help or what, but he'd recognize me. Um, and he's like, oh, hey, dude, how's it going? He's like, I just killed a big bull. And I'm like, oh, sweet, man, nice work. He's like, yeah, I just killed a big six-point. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, you want to know where the elk are? He's like, yes. So, <laughs> You're like, of course I do. <laughs> absolutely. So he kind of told me where the rest of the herd had gone. This bull that he killed had a really big herd of elk with it. And so I was like, well, do you need help packing it out? And he's like, no, we're good. we got buddies coming and everything. I'm like, let's just go look at him. So we walked down there to his bowl, and uh, he hadn't started processing it. He'd just gone to pick up his dad. And I was able to sit there with them, uh, Tyler and his dad, very, very nice guys. Um, we just talked hunting, and I helped them butcher that bowl up and haul the quarter up out of the, the hole for them and got it to their truck. And um, just awesome dudes. Had a great morning with those guys and kind of started hunting that spot after that um interaction with them saw some elk the one night my buddy troy actually got on a herd of elk had a bull with them and he ranged the bull everything was perfect squeezed the trigger and his muzzleloader didn't go off didn't pop the primer nothing oh no so he reloaded or re pulled out put a new primer in it and everything sat there couldn't get his muzzleloader shooter he'd have killed that bull um and then it was the same muzzleloader that he killed that deer with when it was pouring rain and mm -hmm. i guess his firing pin had rusted um, to where it was seized and it wouldn't fire. So he should have killed the bull, but, um, it didn't work out. And so, uh, we went up again day before yesterday and I had, uh, Brendan, who's one of the founders of scout to hunt was with us. Uh -huh. And then my buddy Troy, we hiked into a spot and I just thought the morning was going to be a bust because the wind was blowing like 60 miles an hour. Um, just knocking trees over. We were hearing dead trees fall the whole way in and we got to where it was almost light and we decided to split off troy went one way and i went the other way and i dropped down off the hill and maybe 200 yards into the timber on the way to this meadow we jumped a bull and it's one of those super random things i've been in that spot 15 20 times this year and never got into the elk there during the hunts and then here's this bull anyway he walked um kind of across the hill and i started cow chirping at him he went out of sight and I moved around to get a better angle, cow chirped, and he stopped on the hill 50 yards, kind of came back to me. Money. And so I came around the tree, he's standing there, and I was shooting offhand, kind of out of breath, so I had to breathe a few times so I could get settled down, settled my crosshairs and shot, and then I couldn't see what happened. And I asked Brendan, who was standing right behind me, what happened? He said, oh, you killed him, you killed him. So um, – I reloaded my muzzleloader because I'm always super nervous with elk that they're just going to run away after you shoot them because they're so tough. Yeah, they're a hardy animal right there. Yeah, and I went running up to this bull. I didn't even know what he was. I could see his one antler and his front shoulder when I shot him. Um, and I went kind of running up to him, and I saw him pick his head up. I'm like, oh, geez, that's a six-point, um, which is a pretty rare bird on that unit. Yeah. And so I got up to him and put another shot at him to finish him off, and it was just like just a real pretty heavy six-point bull, and it was just like another one of those moments where it's like, man, I hunted 30-plus days. I think I hunted 31 days. I was trying to figure it out last night on that unit, and then here's this bull suddenly, you know, laying at your feet. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, super awesome. Like 
experience. It was cool to have Brendan there with us. He's a photographer and he was taking pictures the whole time. So we got some awesome pictures and he captured some really cool candid shots um, of the whole butchering process. And so that's, that brings me to today, man. I was like today dealing with the Euro mount on that bowl, cutting up the back straps. And that's what I've been doing. Uh huh. So what would you say so far this year has been like your, uh, your best achievement for your 2018 season, just personally, internally? Um, I think having my boy during the hunts was like in between hunts <laughs> was yeah. pretty awesome. Like having him show up at the right time. I definitely have to say that was like the, the, the high point for me was having him come. Right. As far as hunts go though, dude, I feel like New Mexico just had it all. Yeah. It had everything, you know, we got it done the very last day. Um, we had such an awesome experience with awesome people. The food was insane. The views were amazing. It just had it all. It had, um, I picked up sheds. Yeah, it just had everything, and we took it to the wire, and then we had success. So I think for me, I mean, that had to be the one that definitely stood out as like top tier. So, what would you say was your best piece of gear? So I have this rifle. Um, that it's a 300 short mag and it was my dad's gun mm-hmm. he had uh, a little bit of work done to it um had the trigger done and he got it shooting well and then i had a buddy of mine andrew um he put a long range scope a vortex hslr on it for me this year uh-huh. really got me comfortable shooting long range and uh i mean like ring and steel at 700 no problem and so that that right there has been an amazing piece of gear also i started running um, some first light this year. Yeah. Some camo. How do you like and that? I love it. My buddy like, runs first light, dude. The, dude it, uh, the gear when he's always in it, I'm always just like, that stuff looks amazing. Yeah, it's dude, super well thought out. The materials, dude, the merino, uh-huh. like it's next level stuff. Like I've worn everything. Yeah. Every everybody makes good stuff. Well, and you and I have talked about, you know, in the last year, we've talked about gear across the board from all of the different companies. Right. You know? Yep. And I run everything. Yeah. You know, I've worn, I've worn Sitka, I've worn Kuyu, I've worn First Light, I wore Scree for a while, I've worn Kings, I've, I mean. Yeah. And I, I, everybody makes good stuff nowadays, but this First Light to me just seems, their fabrics seem next level to me. Yeah. So it's, it's cool and, um, that's been awesome gear. I had the those uh, the Vortex Fury range finding binoculars. How were those? They've been surprisingly good. Um, I, I like them. Like they have definitely limitations as far as if you're going to run just a binocular, mm-hmm. you'd probably be better off with like maybe the Razor HDs. Yeah. But for a combination range finder binocular for rifle hunting and muzzleloader hunting, they're pretty awesome. Hmm. So. Yeah, they're good, but I, I mean, I ran a ton of gear this year. Um, I, this bull in New Mexico, you know, I threw him in a Yeti cooler, uh-huh. stocked him with ice. Now, let me, actually, let me, because I'm, I'm in the process right now of buying some Yetis. Right so, on. I'm looking at getting two 125s yeah. in hopes that that will be a full boned out Rocky Mountain Elk. Yeah, dude. I think if you're going to bone it out, yeah. you could almost do it in one 125. Oh, really? Yeah, like my New Mexico bull, I had him in a 125 <laughs> and a 75. Really? Yeah, I did have to cut 
Um, I, but he wasn't boned out. I left the bones in the quarters. Oh, okay. So they also make one that's I think it's a two ten or maybe it's a two fifty. They make but a it's, six a one sixty five and a two ten, and then they make fucking monstrosities that are even bigger than both those. But the yeah. the one twenty fives, from what I understand and from what I can tell, I can still pick up a one twenty five by myself and not worry about wrecking my back or doing anything like that. So if I'm in the field by myself, I can still operate and move. The yeah. cooler around us to where the 165 kind of starts pushing it because it's a you know it's like a half foot longer or a foot longer and weighs you know a bunch more. Yeah, the 210 um, is like the taller one, mm-hmm. and you can for sure fit a whole elk in that cooler. Mm-hmm. That's what it was designed for. But yeah, like you say, especially if you put meat in it, that cooler's a, a bare empty. Yeah. So I mean, if you <laughs> if you put a whole elk in it, dude. Like even that 125 had two hind quarters in it, had back straps, had my grind meat, the necros, all that stuff. Yeah. All right, we had to have two people to put it in the back of the truck. Like oh, there's I bet. No, there's no way you're loading that thing by yourself. <laughs> and it was, dude, it, I bet it was 350 pounds. No way. So it's, uh, but man, they kept that stuff. I got back to Utah um, with these elk mm-hmm. and the ice that I had put over the top had like refrozen into a solid layer over them oh no way yeah and they were just ice cold the whole way through like perfect so they were and they weren't like frozen they were just ice cold with a layer of ice over the top of them staying cool yeah they were perfect man they did a great job that's awesome so and then uh yeah everything yeti makes is super legit i had a um like one day i made a mug full of like that mountain ops that hot ignite yeah and i put it in my yeti cup and then i put it in the ground by me and i fell asleep for like three hours uh-huh I woke up and I'm like, oh man, I didn't even drink my drink that I made. And I went to drink it, dude, and burn the daylights out of my mouth. Oh no. <laughs> after, sitting up, after sitting for like three hours in the cold. Uh-huh. So they're legit, man. So they make good stuff. That's awesome. So as you know, with partnerships, mm-hmm. you know, us out here in San Francisco, we have a partnership with, you know, with uh, Deadeye Outfitters. They're our, our, our partner, our special partners. Yeah, our special friends. Special friends in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> so we ask a dead eye question. It's the dead eye minute. All right. It's supposed to, you know, loosen the mood, you know. Partnerships yeah. loosen the mood. Uh, so if you were any wizard from Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> what wizard would you be? You should ask my wife this question. She's a Harry Potter nut. Uh, Dude, I'd be... I don't know, man. Probably, what's, what's the fat kid's name? I don't remember. Ron He's Weasley? Probably, well, Weasley's the redhead dude, Yeah, right? we, wait, I don't remember the fat kid. I would be, you know what, I would be Ron Weasley because, dude, he gets to make out with freaking Hermione. He definitely gets to mac on Hermione. Yeah, she and, you know, she's old enough for me to say she's hot, right? She is oh. now, for sure. Okay, there yeah. you go. She's hot, dude. <laughs> That's what I would say. I'd be Ron Weasley, dude, because Emma Stone. What's her name? Emma what? Watson? Emma Watson. Yeah, not Emma Stone. Emma Stone's the redhead, right? I don't know who Emma Stone is, but I'm sure she's stupid hot, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I'd be Ron. I'd be Ron motherfucking Weasley, dude. There it is. <laughs> and there those dead-eye boys, man. 
I love those guys. You gotta they, love them, man. Dude, they make the best freaking looking apparel. Yeah. Well, like I'm, something that I've been doing for myself, and and more so since I've been in cahoots with them, is like I bring an outfit. I bring like a fresh pair of dead eye socks, a fresh mm-hmm. clean, not sweaty ass deer piss covered hat like you know what i mean like a nice shirt i bring all my stuff and i put it in a bag in the bottom of my bag so at the end of the hunt i throw on fresh clothes like fresh fresh clean clothes and i'm like this is so nice yeah man i love their socks dude they're they make the best most comfortable socks i have like i bet i have 30 pairs of their socks. way too many pairs i mean i guess you can never have too many pairs of socks though right right but uh, yeah, man, Nikolai, Brian, dude, I love those guys. Chris, Lacey, and then I don't know Brian's brother's name. I met him too, but they're a great group of dudes. Yeah, for sure, super fun. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what it's, you know, something that they talk to me a lot about is just like, hey, man, let's just all have a good time together and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, and you can't beat that. Nope, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool, man. Do you got any any uh, concluding thoughts? How can people look you up on social media? Not that we didn't cover that already, you know, on YouTube and Instagram and any concluding thoughts? Yeah, everything is under Shed Crazy, man. Um, my Instagram, my YouTube, all that stuff. Um, as far as concluding thoughts go, man, like, I guess I'm right there with the Deadeye Boys. Let's have fun. Let's make this about having fun. It's okay to laugh. Yeah. It's okay to screw up. It's okay to do dumb things because you're excited. Um, I think a lot of times as hunters, we're hard on each other and we're hard on ourselves when we make mistakes. Um, we're hard on people who we presume to be um, not taking this seriously enough. Yeah. And I think overall, the most important thing is is that we do need to be on the same team going forward. It doesn't mean we have to love everything that everybody else does, but like we as hunters, we got to stick together. Mm-hmm. So if you see something online and like you really, really want to be a dick, um, just find a little bit nicer way to say it. Yeah. Or don't say it at all. Yeah. If you can't, just uh, just keep it to yourself. It's okay to have – because I see people post stuff and I'm like, oh, man, this idiot. Mm-hmm. But it's like really easy just to like put your phone back in your pocket. Yeah. Or keep scrolling. Right. Yeah. You don't <laughs> have to be the one. It's not always your job to pipe up and correct everybody. Yeah. But yeah, just overall, man. Let's like let's make this fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. Right. The things we love the most are having good times in the hills with friends. So that's the most important thing to remember. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, dude, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming on and and spending two hours of your night, you know, to uh, your afternoon to to talk and come on and and uh, come on to Anthony and I's podcast. You know, we really appreciate it. You know, from the first time that I, I met you was it right before the Sacramento show last yeah. year when we met at the SAC show, you know, it's like you've been nothing but kind and courteous to me. I appreciate it. I appreciate the stuff that you do, you know, and I, I appreciate the humor that you bring to so much stuff. You know, it's like you just keep me laughing, dude, and it's so great. Like <laughs> I'm just you'll post stuff and I'll just look at my phone and I'm just smi- like smiling dude just smiling ear to ear and you know the grin yeah I do man and I <laughs> I appreciate you dude I can't tell you how much I see like your stories and your motivational stuff on like sometimes it'll catch me in a spot where I need it 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to see you smiling too, man. It's like sometimes I'll tap through and you see every the beginning of every slide on your story. You just have this cheeser grin on your face. <laughs> it always, uh, always lifts my mood. So I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you always being nice and, and finding the time to get me on your podcast. I really appreciate that. Right on, man. Well, thank you very much, dude. And, uh, you know, have a good rest of your night. Sounds good, brothers. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.